John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Strong or Die podcast, episode two. This is an underground syndication from an undisclosed location. We will be talking about some controversial topics here, and we don't need the safety police kicking in the door. Today we have Paul Mauser of Mauser Strength Dynamics as a guest. We're going to be talking about a few different topics here, World's Strongest Man, um, the Odhagen Strength Classic, the safety police, and the Appalachian Team Championships. Um, well, let's start off with uh, World's Strongest Man. Do you have any immediate thoughts? Wait a um, minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Come on now. There's something we got to address here before we get going. We're in this undisclosed location in parts unknown, and you have informed me that I am not allowed to eat because the sound will come through on the podcast We'll make it sound terrible. Well, the first th- first things first here, John. How can this be a strongman podcast when I'm not allowed to eat? <laughs> Nobody wants to hear you eating. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> Listen, we've all seen you at the buffets. We've seen you at the fast food joints. Nobody wants to hear your lips smacking. <laughs> all right, fine, fine. Let's get into uh, let's get into world's strongest man. Thanks for having me on the podcast, first and foremost. So uh, by now, I think everybody knows um, that uh, that I won World's Strongest Man. Oh, wait a minute. Are you sure about that? <laughs> You're claiming that I didn't win World's Strongest Man, and uh, so, you know some other schmuck did. Let's uh, let's get into it. What are, what, are, what, are your, what are your thoughts on this? Well, um, as you know... Uh uh, half Thor Bjornsson won World's Strongest Man. Um, obviously, for whatever reason, the TV, uh, the, uh, the the people running the TV show don't doesn't don't want that information disclosed. But I think by now everybody knows. Um, yeah, I think it was a, a long time coming. Basically, um, you know, he's done great um, this year. Uh, pretty much every year he's been in, he's done pretty well. But uh, I think it was just a matter of time. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody really believed anybody else is going to win but him. Yeah, he was definitely the favorite going in. Um, but back to what you said about the, the organizers, that was an interesting statement. Uh, the organizers not wanting the results disclosed. Uh, this year, they really kind of relaxed on that, it seemed like. And a lot of the athletes were on social media um giving out a whole lot more information than what had ever been done in the past. And, you know, maybe they're finally starting to realize at this point that, you know, this stuff is going to get out regardless. I mean, it's not like it's a big secret unless they held it in an undisclosed location like we're doing with this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, maybe they finally listen to the fans too, because I know every year um, that's a big thing people are – you know, on the forums and on social media and stuff, people are always attacking the uh, world's strongest man people for that and talking about how ridiculous it is and and uh, how they're not allowed to disclose, but everybody knows anyway. Especially with cell phones and stuff. I mean, you got all kinds of leaked videos and everything. It's it's not like you're just one Google search away from finding out anyway. Yeah, we're in the age of information and. Uh that's just that's just how things are nowadays. You, know, you can't you can't fart in the wind without somebody catching it on video. So, 
But yeah, I think really, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, a good thing. It helps spread the word and build the excitement for the uh, for the competition. I, I'm more excited now to watch it when it comes on TV because I've spent the last week following the action online, and I'm just exci- I'm, I'm excited to see it. I know the results. I know all the placings. I don't care. I can't wait till it comes on TV. Yeah, I agree. I think um, you know, even if you know the. Uh the finish and, and you've seen some of the videos, it's still, you get pretty pumped to see the whole thing in its entirety and, and to watch it, you know, unfold, um, in its entirety. So I think, I think it does help with the, uh, with the TV show. Uh, do you happen to know when that'll be aired? Have they, have they said anything? Yeah, they've announced some dates. I don't remember them off the top of my head. And quite frankly, I didn't do any research for this podcast because we're going off the cuff here. Um, it'll be, it'll be in June sometime. And it'll be on CBS and CBS Sports. Um, yeah, so uh, back to the placings. Um, you know, Half Thor won, and then um, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name because I'll, I'll butcher it. But the uh, guy from Poland, young guy, real strong, he got second. And um, I think for for some people that wasn't a surprise, but I would say for a lot of people that was a surprise that he got second place. And um, and then Shaw got uh, third place, I believe. Well, number one, it's not that hard to pronounce, John. It's Mateusz Kieliszkowski, and show the man some respect. Secondly, uh, you know, I'm not surprised that he got second. Um, The only event, he's world-class in every event except deadlifting. And... You know, we've we've come to a point in strongman uh, where there's an overemphasis, I feel like, on deadlifting, and people have come to see that as some end-all, be-all event that determines how strong somebody is. But the fact of the matter is, there's a thousand different strongman events, and deadlifting is only one of them. There's a thousand different ways to test strength, and deadlift is only one of them. So, for a guy to have one week event out of thousands that are possible, you know, you can say the guy is very well-rounded. So when you're, when you're world-class in, in, you know, uh, five out of six events that are, that are in the final, that's, um, that's a pretty, pretty good indication of how good you really are. Yeah, I would say so. He did, he did great in, um, every event. I mean, he, and he didn't do terrible in the deadlift. It just wasn't a, a, uh, you know, a great performance. And I mean, you you even saw in the um, he did the Arnold Classic as well, and uh, all of his events um, there, he did a great job, especially the Natural Stones. I mean, everybody was talking about that. He he got first place in that event and in dominating fashion. Yeah, really, there were two things that people um, were really buzzing about after the after the Arnold World Championships. Um, was Half Thor's deadlift record and Kieliszkowski's uh, four reps with the stone to shoulder when a lot of the guys got zero. Yeah, that's true. And uh, and and don't, well, don't forget the uh, the bloody nose of Mikhail. That was also uh, for some reason being uh, you know going viral and being talked about. So Brian Shaw in third place got the bronze, still made the podium. Um, there's been some talk about you know um, you know how healthy was he coming into the contest. He also uh, had uh, his wife back home 
who gave birth to their uh, latest child um, during World's Strongest Man while he was overseas in the Philippines. So that had to be, uh, you know, you got to think it had had to be hard to focus. You know, I'm not trying to make excuses for Brian Shaw. I'm just saying uh, the the guy was in a very unique situation. I don't know at all if that played into his performance or if the other guys were just a little bit better on that day. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, especially uh, as tight of a class, um, you know, as it was with with all those guys in there all being, I mean, you know, top performers. And uh, I think the events were pretty, um, you know, they varied pretty well. So so everybody had a good shot of having a, a, an event that was really good for them. And it was just evenly distributed. And, uh, you know, if you if you gave up an inch, you know, it was going to show in the finals. So how about those events? Uh, you know, 2017 was a major departure from what the World's Strongest Man final has generally looked like. Um, It was essentially a glorified powerlifting meet. Um, And this year was very much back to some classic, uh, you know, World's Strongest Man type events. The medley in the loading race, um, in particular the carry and load, whatever you want to call it, uh, was very cool. Uh, five different objects, some objects that you don't see all the time. They had a safe, um, a giant anvil, an anchor, you know, some very cool stuff in that. What are your thoughts on the, uh, we'll, I guess we can, we can talk about the whole contest if you'd like. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the events in the final, definitely a lot different than last year's. Yeah. Way, way different from, uh, last year's. I think it had, it looked a lot like, um, you know, some of the more old school world's strongest man, um, especially the loading event, which is probably my, uh, favorite event that I saw, you know, bits and pieces of that event itself was great. Like you said, there was five objects. Uh, there was like an anchor, um, a, a large, a rather large anvil. Um, and then it ended with the safe. And, um, one of the, the cool things about the safe, uh, was the size of it. It was huge. And, um, it seemed like some people, you know, had a little more trouble, uh, picking it up, um, and moving with it just cause it was so big. And obviously that favored, you know, the larger guys like half Thor, they had a little easier time just wrapping around it or whatever, but it was cool. Just the size of the implement and how, how awkward and, and unwieldy it was. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, those sorts of awkward objects, in my opinion, are kind of the essence of strongman. Um, you know, the ability to get a hold of any object at any time that is sitting in front of you, pick it up, manipulate it in some way, and move it from point A to point B. You know, that is that is strength. If if you look at the uh, if you look through the annals of time and you look at the uh, you know the Europeans and their ideas of strength and manhood, the manhood stones, etc., 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 it was about grabbing an object that most people can't pick up, picking it up, moving it, or setting it uh, you know setting it up on a platform, carrying it around the uh, what is it the pig pen in Iceland for the Husafell stone. You know, that was, for thousands of years, that's how man has defined strength. It wasn't with barbells. It was with, okay, we're going to grab this stone, we're going to grab this log, and we're going to see 
who can carry it further or who can, you know, load it on this platform. And that was how strength was defined. And I, I still feel like that's a very, a very pertinent way to uh, define strength. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I agree, obviously. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and I love to see those. Uh, I mean, I wish they would all be that way every event, but. You know, I like to see um, when they have at least one event that really shows that that essence of the sport and it kind of brings that back. And um, you, you kind of see um, a cool aspect in that medley as well. Like I, I don't even remember, and I watched several of the heats with in the medley. Um, I don't even remember the weights of some of the objects off the top of my head, but it doesn't matter because you knew they were difficult. You could just look at the event and say, hey, those guys are struggling with that safe. That thing must be hard to, to lift or difficult to lift and carry. It didn't really matter what it weighed per se. It was just the actual difficulty of the event. And, and that's what I really like to see is the difficulty. I, I'm not a, a number chaser. Yeah, number, numbers are only interesting to people who actually lift. You know, to most of the population, the numbers don't mean anything. Um, what, what's what's impressive is you see a guy, even the sandbag that was in that event, it was so freaking big that, like, you know, our, our, our grandmother could look at that and go, holy crap, that is impressive. She doesn't need to know a number on that. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, to the numbers, uh, you look at people – uh, like like you mentioned earlier, Half Thor he deadlifted a uh, thousand and forty one pounds at the Arnold or whatever, and everything seems to be approaching that thousand pound mark, and, and and you know with different events, yokes and frames and and deadlifts and stuff, and then you have like a three hundred pound sandbag. <laughs> you know, there's a big difference there between a thousand pounds and three hundred pounds, but you saw some of those guys with you know nine hundred pound, a thousand pound deadlifts they didn't look too happy when they grabbed the 300 pound sandbag or 400 pound sandbag or whatever it was. And, um, I think that's really what it's about. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily the, the, the weight necessarily in the numbers. It's the difficulty of the task. Yeah, I would, I would uh, definitely agree on that. It's also the perceived difficulty when you're talking about from a spectator point of view, uh, what they, what they perceive to be difficult. And, a uh, you know a barbell bench press for example you know unless you unless you are a lifter someone who spends a lot of time in the gym you can't appreciate that it's it's just plates on a bar and you can throw out numbers you could you know you could tell the average person oh yeah I bench seven seven hundred pounds and they would probably believe it you know because they have no point of reference for that but when you grab a giant safe and put it up on a box. Anybody can look at that, you know, anybody can relate to that and say, hey, number one, that's interesting. And number two, very impressive. Yeah, because at the end of the day, a safe's just a big box, you know, and everybody's carried a box to some extent. So you have you have some kind of reference point to that and you have some kind of, uh, you, you have a way to relate that to what you're doing. I mean, you could even relate that safe to a, a washer and dryer or anything of that same shape. If, if you don't bench press... <laughs> There's literally nothing you can reference that back to. Yeah, so you know, along those same lines, let's talk about the champ himself. Uh, Half Thor is you know one of those guys, and I feel like he not only has the competition results from from this year to prove it, 
but I feel like he proves that he's the world's strongest man uh, for reasons beyond that. I feel like you could put any set of events, you know, any well-rounded set of events in front of this guy, and he's going to win the contest nine out of ten times at this point where he's at right now. Oh, yeah. Um, and what I think is uh, pretty phenomenal about Half Thor, well, first of all, it's, I mean, genetically, he's he's up there. Um, you know, he's got the, the height and the weight and stuff. Um, and then he has this um, athletic background from basketball and stuff. So I think that gives him maybe a little bit of an edge. Uh, but he did struggle in some events over the past couple of years. But I think leading up to this World's Strongest Man, and uh, I think he, he hired a, a new coach maybe a year ago or two years ago. And... Um, They've been putting in a lot of work leading up to this world's strongest man, and I think you can tell that all of the kinks in his armor, all of his weak links, I mean, he doesn't have any weak links now. Whereas before, you know, there were a couple events that he wasn't maybe the best at, but it would be very difficult to say he's not the best at any particular event at this point. Yeah, so speaking of, uh, let's change, change gears a little bit here. You talked about uh, he, you know, he's been working with a coach for, for some time now. Um, and before that, he was working with Magnus for Magnuson. Um, I've, I've heard some folks recently talk about how they feel like it is impossible to prepare for certain events. Um, and... You know, my first my first thought when when I when I saw these comments was, well, you need to get with a coach who understands how to prepare for those events. Uh, you know, um, moving moving events in particular. Um, you know, we, uh, you and you and I are both fans of moving events. We're fan fans of uh, events that pit man versus man or woman versus woman. Um, and some people feel like they cannot properly uh, condition their body to deal with those events. And it baffles me why anyone would think that because, you know, a strength and conditioning coach, uh, their job for, you know, at, let's say at a college, their job is to prepare athletes like football players, uh, rugby players, whatever, you know, soccer, whatever the sports may be, to prepare those athletes' bodies for the forces they're going to encounter when they're locking horns with another human being who's trying to run them over on the field. And they get paid millions of dollars to do it. And, you know, to, to think that it's impossible to prepare for something like that, uh, I, I, don't, I, just, I don't understand the mindset of where this comes from. If if you look at other sports, if you look at, you know, million dollar, multi-million, billion dollar industry sports, you know, that's what they do. You know, look at the NFL, look at, um, you know, NCAA football. Um, that's what these people do. Well, I think, um, I mean, you're, you're entirely right. You can, you can train to do anything. I mean, you can look beyond sports. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be sports. Look what, Look what different militaries across the world are training to do. I mean, these people are training to go into combat with guns and knives and 
and bombs and, and drones and all kinds of stuff. And, and they're training for those situations. You know, uh, football is a great example, but you can definitely go beyond that. You can, you can train the body to do anything. You know, so to say that you can't prepare for an event, I mean, <laughs> that's that's just a joke. That's not a that's that's somebody is somebody saying those sorts of things is just being uh, they're scared of the event. Number one, they're they're terrified of it, um, and number two, they're either too stubborn or too stupid to get with somebody that knows how to prepare them for it. And if, if they're not willing to do that for the sport, then maybe they should find a different sport. Or, Tell or, me how you really feel, John. <laughs> or, or, or avoid competitions with, with those events in it altogether. But don't, but don't try to deter other people because, you know, if, if they're doing the right stuff, then there's no reason that they should be deterred. You know, let them get a coach that can that can handle it and, and teach them how to do it. So this is a perfect time to mention that anyone currently training for a boss wrestling tournament or a pole push event uh, can definitely reach out to John the Viking Mauser for coaching on how to prepare for those events. That's John the Viking Mauser. <laughs> Thanks for the plug. But uh, yeah, I think... Um, I like that plug <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see this stuff spring up online. I try not to, uh, I try not to comment on anything. But yeah, I see this stuff spring up, and people will, uh, you know, they'll say you can't prepare for this or that or whatever. And it's just, I think that uh, a lot of people have made it pretty far in strongman by doing it themselves. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's not a school sport. You know, you don't go in high school and there's strongman teams and stuff, um, hopefully one day, but but not right now. And, you know, anybody can get started in strongman. You can start lifting in your basement, your garage, whatever, and you can do this stuff. And a lot of people have made it pretty far doing that, okay, um, especially in the beginning. But at some point, if you might have to hire somebody or, or you or, you know, maybe not even hire, maybe somebody will do you a solid and, and you know, help you out for free or whatever. But at some point, you're probably going to have to look for somebody that knows more than you do. I mean, and, and that's just the nature of the beast at this point. You know, the first people that went through World's Strongest Man, they, they could probably do it on their own. And they were they were blazing the trail. But at this point. World's Strongest Man and Strongman and all that's been around so long that most people are not going to be able to make it to a top level without some help. And if you're not willing to, to get that help, then you're going to be left behind. And you shouldn't try to hold the sport back and you shouldn't be dodging, you, well, you shouldn't be telling other people to dodge events or badgering promoters because you're scared of events because you're not prepared for it. Because right now, it's your job to be prepared for it. So that's John the Viking Mauser who can help you prepare for those events. <laughs> so, so let's talk about this. Um, you know, some some people might feel like, okay, uh, you know, maybe, maybe John the Viking is good at these events and able to constantly compete in these events. Uh, because he has some amazing athletic background and he's a genetic freak uh, or something like that. Um, 
Look, let me let me go ahead and drop some bombs here, um, and, and you you can chime in on this too. Uh, you know, you don't have an athletic background prior to lifting stuff. Um, some martial some martial arts when we were kids. Um, Karate. You know, I mean, it's it's not like um, you know, it's not like you were a. Uh, uh, Division one uh, lineman who, who decided to get into strongman. You're literally just, you know, a, a normal dude who got into uh, lifting stuff with pretty much almost zero previous athletic background, and then decided to, uh, you know, take up uh, a, a particular interest in the combat events and have been extremely successful at it. Uh, two two consecutive tournament wins in the pull push, and um, the the Philly the Philly Expo where you were just uh, just there took home a uh, a silver and a bronze in uh, two different tournaments there for boss wrestling. I mean, you know what what are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, at the end of the at the end of the day, and and you'll see people argue against this pull push and moss wrestling. Are strength events. You don't have to be a super athlete. <clears throat> I mean, you don't even have to be. I mean, I would say average, or maybe even slightly below average athlete. You know, I mean, you you could. Uh, there's. I don't think there's a lot of athleticism involved. It it at the end of the day, it's a strength thing, and you'll get all these people that. You know, oh, you got to move on the moss board, or you know, or you got to do all these little tricks during the pull push. But that's not the case. You're you're moving on the pull push. You're leaning forward. You're driving forward, and you just have to know basic things like, hey, I need to be lower than the other guy on the end of the stick. It's not rocket science. I mean, that's just how any combat. If if it's sumo wrestling, if it's wrestling, low man wins. You get low, you push them out of the circle. Now, obviously, they may move laterally, but it doesn't take a lot of athleticism to follow a person laterally on the end of a ten-foot stick. I mean, we're not talking about we're not talking about running some world record forty or or you know doing some zombie run type thing and juking past a hundred people. I mean, it's. It's pretty simple, and the circle isn't that big. I mean, you're not moving laterally like like you're out on a basketball court. I mean, it, it's really 90% strength and then 10%, you know, being at least average athletic, you know, uh, having average athleticism and um, not just being, like, super fat and immobile. <laughs> You know, at the end of the day, that's all it is. And and the Moss wrestling is the same. It's like if, if you're one of these people, one of these, one of these strong men or power lifters or whatever, if you're one of these people in strength sports that can't touch your toes, you can't bend over and touch your toes. It's probably a bad idea to get on the Moss board. But at the same time, it's not just a bad idea to get on the Moss board it was a bad idea to not be able to touch your toes anyway, because that's going to affect tons of other stuff that you're doing. 
you're already at risk for getting hurt in the other events if you can't touch your toes. And then it's probably worse on the moss board, but you should be able to touch your toes. <laughs> you would think so. You would think so. You, you know, I see, I see some folks that don't have reasonably decent mechanics, even on basic lifts. And then they're in a contest doing a heavy yoke walk, for instance. You know, my humble opinion, if you're not able to perform a proper squat under a, under a uh, taxing load, what are you doing under a heavy yoke? Probably getting hurt. <laughs> but pro- probably getting hurt, yeah. Um, so... The, We've kind of gotten off on a, on, a, on a tangent here, but I, I felt like it was a good uh, a good topic to discuss. We mentioned the uh, Philly Expo, um, and I, I apologize, I don't know the proper name for that. I believe it was just Philly Fit Expo, um, but o- Ode Halgen's big uh, strength extravaganza out there. You were there, uh, you know, our, our buddy Chad Clark was there, our, our Yeah, the the uh, event was just the <clears throat> Philly Fit Expo, but um, that the uh, Moss and arm lifting part was called the Ode Haugen uh, Strength Classic. So there was two events. There was an arm lifting challenge, and um, we'll get into this. some of you guys might not know what an arm lifting challenge is. We'll get into that in a minute. And then there was the Moss Wrestling Tournament, and there was actually two Moss Wrestling Tournaments, and I'll explain that in a minute because um, not a lot of uh, other sports have tournaments run in this fashion. But uh, it was pretty cool. The first day we did, um, I think we just did three of the grip events the first day. And uh, the second day, we um, did the other three grip events uh, with the Moss Wrestling. So we were actually doing um, uh, grip, and then we'd do a few Moss sessions, and then we go back and do grip, and we did other Moss sessions, and they ended with grip again. And um, I think... Uh, me and maybe one other person did all every event. Um, there were some people that opted to do just some of the arm lifting, and there were some people that opted to only do Moss and, and you know the other way around. But uh, it was a really good time. Um, the expo itself seemed pretty cool. I didn't get to walk around too, too much. Um, it was not as big as the Arnold Classic or like the Olympia, but uh, it was still fairly sizable and seemed to have a bunch of cool stuff going on. So let me, uh, let me jump in there. You talked about interspersing the grip events with the Moss Wrestling tournaments. Uh, Moss Wrestling is very grip-centric. You've got to have serious hands to, uh, to, to excel at that event. You know, are, there, are there any thoughts on how doing the grip, uh, you know, basically at the same time you know, in, in, between, in between Moss matches, I can't speak for um, anybody else. I think the people that did the arm lifting, uh, you know, obviously they had pretty well conditioned grip strength and hands and stuff. So I don't think it would have affected them, but it may have. 
um, yeah, I don't think it affected me. There wasn't a lot of, uh, uh, like endurance grip events in the arm lifting. We had one, um, endurance event and that was a silver bullet hold, but I don't think that, uh, I don't think it affected, um, my grip at all during the Moss wrestling. No. Was the silver bullet, uh, was that before or after all the Moss stuff had finished up? Uh, it was before the Moss. I'm trying to remember, uh, the silver bullet was on day two or was it the, I think it was the third event on day one. So it actually wasn't even on the same. It wasn't even on the same day as the, uh, Moss wrestling. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say if if there's any event that would have uh, any sort of effect on the, on the grip for Moss wrestling, it'd definitely be the, uh, definitely be the silver bullet probably above anything else. Yeah. I think we did, um, uh, the silver bullet on the first day and there was a novice Moss tournament the first day, but I don't think anybody in the novice tournament did the grip stuff. So sidebar on the grip stuff, grip is always a hot topic in strongman because, uh, it's always needed. It's always important and not a lot of people have it. Um, so, you know, what, what do you think, if you could give one piece of advice to, you know, one piece of free advice from John the Viking Mauser, normally people have to pay millions of dollars for this advice, but if you could give one piece of advice to anybody listening who's going, man, I'm really struggling with my grip strength, um, what, what would it be to help them out? Um, well, don't dodge it in training is the big thing. I think that's where most people fail is they start dodging it in training. And, um, you'll find that the people that don't do that, even if they're not specifically working their grip, they'll have really strong grip. I've come across a lot of strong men that don't have like a grip day where they're not like cranking out grippers in their car, driving to work that have pretty freakishly strong hands. And it's just because they're not afraid to grab an axle and deadlift with it for a whole cycle and without using straps and get used to holding that axle or We'll do farmer's walks um, with the turn and stuff. I mean, really, like, just smoke in your hands. You can get a strong grip just by doing that stuff and, and not dodging doing it. And then in certain instances, you can you can add that stuff in to your regular workouts. If you're, if you're doing pull-ups, and I think every strong man should do pull-ups, um, do grip-style pull-ups. You know, just the, it's whether it's a towel or you're using a fat grip or whatever do grip pull-ups and um the but grip that's really hard what is it but that's really hard <laughs> yeah yes it is it's pretty hard uh yeah i think that's the point though right um in fact uh no, no it's not it's not the point <laughs> um so uh ode haugen actually <clears throat> um <clears throat> he did a little uh like how to train for grip thing um, after one of the events and talked about uh, training for your grip. And he himself said that uh, he goes out of his way to add grip to everything. He said, if he does a chain drag, he grabs some kind of fat handles and hooks it on and drags the chains with fat handles. He does grip every day, every workout as often as he can and adds it into every single implement that he can do it with. Um, now I don't think you should add that he has a forearm the size of a turkey leg. 
Um, yes, he has the most impressive forearms I've ever seen, and I think he holds numerous grip world records, and the ones he doesn't hold, I'm willing to bet you could, I don't know what time it is where he lives right now, but if he's asleep, you could wake him up right now and put it in front of him, and he would do it. I mean, this guy, he, they set the, uh, they had the um, country crush set up um, after his last event everybody did. And um, it was a near world record weight. I think they were like one kilogram off or pretty close. You could probably find the results. but uh, And Ode Haugen was scheduled to set a world record in that, but we ran out of time. So he just hops up on stage and does like five or six reps with the weight that the like the top guy had done. <laughs> he just jumps up and grabs the most weight anybody did and just reps it out like it's easy. I mean, the guy's grip is unbelievable. Now I don't think so you let's, should. Let's do this. Let's do this, John. Let Let's call Ode Halligan right now. Let's get his ass out of bed. We're gonna call him. We're gonna say, Ode, we need you to set a world record right here on the Get Stronger Die podcast. We're going to do this. We're going to call it Helga right now. It's 4 o'clock in the morning in Norway or wherever. No, he's, in, he's in California. What am I thinking? He's only in California, John. It's actually earlier there. <laughs> That's true. He's, he's probably eating dinner. Um, yeah, now I don't think that you should go out and um, immediately today and add that much grip like Ode Haugen's doing in your workouts, but it should be a, you know, a process but you see where I'm, what I'm getting at is you need to start adding that stuff in. If you don't have time to have a grip day or you don't have time to set aside at the end of your workout to do some specific grip stuff, start adding it in. That's the best advice I can give you. you got to do it if you want to have strong hands. And uh, you never know what kind of grip thing is going to spring up in a competition. It doesn't. It's not always going to be an axle bar. A Viking Halloween this year, Max... Double overhand, Apollon's axle, records on the line. It's going down. That's November 3rd, I believe. Yeah. And yeah. We've, you know, we've got the calibrated plates. It's all going to be official. Uh, I'm going to hopefully call Jed, John- Jed Johnson here in the next week or two and get the uh, sanctioning figured out um, for that event so that it counts for the uh, North American Grip Sport uh, uh, rankings as well. I've already been in contact with him a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, speaking of Jed Johnson, he was at the um, Fit Expo. Uh, he, he got first place. Um, that dude's got crazy strong hands. Um, I've been getting some training from him. Uh, he helped me out leading up to this competition. And uh, I set three or four PRs while I was there. Um, and on my left hand, and I, I'm right-handed, but I used my left hand on all the... Uh, grip events that weekend and um set prs very nice very nice uh yeah jed johnson definitely uh definitely you know probably the face of, of grip sport I, I gotta think you know he's he's kind of the guy that people think of anymore when they think of grip sport stuff and uh, you know one one thing i wanted to uh touch on with him you know you said you have uh been getting some programming and, and, and some coaching from him on uh on the grip stuff, you know, you've also been getting some, uh, uh, you know, coaching from, from uh, other people over the years. You've been to a lot of seminars with uh, world champions and, and, and pro strong men and pro strong women. And a lot of coaches aren't doing that. 
you know, you're you're you are very well known as a uh, you know as a coach for for strongman and and for you know strength and conditioning for for you know any sport. Um, you know, that's how you make a living, and uh, you're not afraid to still learn and expand your base of knowledge. And I feel like a lot of people don't do that, man. I don't think that most people. Um, well, number one, I think ego gets in the way. You know, if you've been doing something for a while, you think you know it all, and you think, well, that person's not going to tell me anything I don't already know. Um, but, but that's not the case. You'll always learn at least one thing by going to these seminars, and sometimes that one thing is worth the money. Usually that one thing's worth the money. Um, and I, I think it was Shawn Michaels in his book said something about, you know, when you stop learning, you should just, that's when you're done. You know, you should always be learning. And uh, so I, I try to, you know, go out of my way to learn stuff all the time. Anytime I can afford it or anytime I get the opportunity, I'll go do it. But I think also um, a lot of people don't put the value on the knowledge. They'll say, well, you know, that seminar, it's like $200. I don't know, you know. Um, I just I just can't, I can't relate to those people. You know, I mean, if somebody... If somebody holds a world record or a world title or whatever, and they're going to do a seminar for you, I mean, I would almost argue that that's priceless. Um, now, obviously, there would be a point where I wouldn't be able to afford it, but I go out of my way to to go to most of these things and, sh- and shell out the money for it because I understand the value of quality information from somebody at that level. And I think a lot of people don't uh, have a good concept of that. You made some good points about, you know, the value of, of that information. You know, why why are we willing to spend a hundred plus dollars on, you know, uh, special brand knee sleeves, but not spend, you know, that same amount of money or a comparable amount of money to go learn from a world champion? It doesn't make any sense. Those, those sleeves might give you, you know, 20 pounds on your squat tomorrow but going to learn from a world champion might give you a hundred pounds on your squad over the course of the next year or two over, or you know over the course of a lifetime or whatever yeah i mean that's that's true the the sleeves and the belts and stuff that's a quick fix you know um you can get a belt learn how to use it and add 50 pounds to your deadlift in two weeks um but you might go to a uh phil fister seminar and learn some knowledge that'll put 200 pounds on your deadlift in 365 days but you have to go and you have to learn and you have to be willing to learn and then sometimes you have to take some of that information and learn how to apply it for yourself and it's work you know and i think you know a lot of people don't want to put they just they just rather unwrap their elbow sleeves and slap them on and get their five pounds out of it or whatever and call it a day instead of really going and talking to somebody and figuring something out and trying to apply concepts and principles because that's tough. Yeah, that is tough. And uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Phil Fister and the deadlift there, because that brings me to uh, sort of an interesting topic, too, is that uh, you know, Fister was never known as a great deadlifter. It was an event that he struggled with. He had a, he had a lanky build. And uh, that was you know always a bit of an Achilles heel for him. He brought it up tremendously you know, over the course of his career. And... For my money, you know, somebody that, you know, I can look at their career and say, wow, they really, 
improved this event over a number of years. You know, that's who I want to learn from. You know, uh, maybe somebody's, you know, maybe the guy you know down the road that can bench press, you know, uh, 450, you know, maybe he was doing that in high school and, you know, 10 years later, he's still bench pressing 450. Is it really that impressive? You know, is it, uh, you know, or is it, or is that guy maybe just a natural who got there without really knowing how he got there versus a guy like Phil who struggled with the deadlift, for example, and took a number of years, you know, a decade to build that up to where he could hang at the highest level and still win world's strongest man. Yeah, I mean, not that the 450 bench press is an impressive, you know, at all. I mean, it's certainly, it's it's an impressive feat, but uh, I don't think I'd be impressed with their training methods. And um, I would be much more impressed with a guy like Fister that, you know, he could probably tell you why. He'd have a lot more answers to why than the other guy would. Yeah, and when you can, when you can answer the question why, when you can give a reason for everything uh, you know, that you're prescribing as a coach, you know, that, that's invaluable. That's, you know, that's something that, uh, athletes should probably look for is, you know, not someone who can just copy and paste a program, but someone who you could have a conversation with, uh, you know, about why, why you're doing this, why you're doing that. Yeah, that's true. That, uh, you know, why is the ultimate, uh, question and the, uh, the answers are, you know, that's what that's what you're after is the whys, you know, if you're looking to improve the answers to why. What the hell else do we have to talk about, John? We've been going off on rants here. We've been going off on tangents. We've talked about everything under the sun, but we haven't talked about half the stuff that was on the uh, program here. Uh, well, we talked about World's Strongest Man. We brought up Philly a little bit. Um, the uh, And then we have uh, the Safety Police and the Appalachian Team Championships. Oh, sweet Lord. Do we have to talk about the safety police, man? They, uh, they, they, they tend to, um, they, they tend to drive me a little crazy. Well, I think it's important to, uh, you know, I mean, they're out there. (laughs) They're out there lurking. They're out there on the internet. They're out there pecking away on their keyboards. You know, they're out there talking. They're pretty much out there doing everything except for, you know, trying training to not get hurt on these event events they're so scared of and pretty much doing everything except winning contests i guess um if, if you want a good example of the uh of the the infamous internet safety police uh listeners all you have to do is take a video of a continental clean and post it anywhere on the interwebs and the safety police, their sirens will sound. They'll bring the canine units. They'll have the SWAT team available. They will kick in your door. They will take over your thread on your video that you're so proud of. And they will tell you how the Continental Clean is going to wreck your body from head to toe. So if you ever want to uh, test that theory, feel free. Uh, just know ahead of time you're going to have some great entertainment in the comment section. <laughs> yeah, the, the Continental Clean's a big one. Um, the, the funny thing about the continental clean, however, is, uh, you get a lot of non lifters that really attack that one. You know, I've seen, um, on Instagram and Facebook or YouTube or whatever, somebody will do a continental clean and, uh, 
it just like the non-lifters will attack. Oh, that's got to be bad for your back. Oh, that looks terrible. And, you know, they'll go off about it. But then you also have people in the community or in the sports, in the strength sports that are, that flip out too. And, you know, I can't believe they're doing this. And it's like, this was a legal lift in the Olympics at one point, <laughs> you know? And, uh, I think as far as, as safety goes, you know, I mean, the, the Olympics is, they have a whole committee and, and all these, these people behind the scenes that, uh, that have, you know, they've whittled the, the Olympics, the events, they've whittled those down. There used to be like, I don't know, 50 events at the first time that strength training was in the Olympics and they've whittled it down and, and, you know, they, they used a lot of technique and all these things. And I would, I would go ahead out on a limb and say, if it was in the Olympics at one point, it's probably fairly safe as far as, uh, you know, strength sports go. I mean, anything, any endeavor that you undertake, that you take to extremes, that you are attempting to be your very best in, is going to carry some risks. If you try to be the best text messenger in the world, if you try to send the most messages, the fastest messages or whatever, you're going to develop some problems in your thumbs. If you try to be the best chess player in the world, then you might develop postural problems, tight hip flexors and lower back pain because you're sitting down so much and spending so many hours playing chess. So when you take uh, you know, a, a sport like lifting, uh, of any sort, whether it's uh, weightlifting, powerlifting, strongman, etc., 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 and you say, "Okay, I'm going to take this extreme sport. I'm going to take this endeavor that is something that most people wouldn't even attempt, and I'm going to try to be my very best in it. I'm going to try to push it to my absolute limits." You know, there are risks associated with that. The question comes down to. What events carry the greatest risks? And, you know, being that uh, you and I have been involved in this stuff for, you know, we, we started uh, pick, picking up our first barbells about 20 years ago. I don't know if a lot of people know that. <laughs> 20 years in the, in, in the Iron Game and picked up Strongman around, oh, what, about 1998? Uh, so, yeah, about, about 20 years when, when we first saw Strongman. And shortly after that, when we started carrying... Uh, you know, gas cans filled with sand for farmers' walks and lifted cakes in a high school parking lot. Um, and we, you know, uh, I know you've seen some stuff. Uh, you've seen a lot of contests. You've probably competed in more contests than uh, anyone else I know, except maybe Matt Holbert. <laughs> But as far as, uh, you know, straight up strongman contests, um, you know, you, you've been around the block a lot. You've seen a ton of events. And when you look at the frequency of when these events occur and how many people participate in them versus how many injuries, you, like real injuries you see in those events, you know, what, what events do you feel like carry the greatest risk? Uh, man, I think. I think the, um, your basic gym lifts, I think have the highest risk, you know, I mean, you see people get hurt on the deadlifts all the time and there's also, there's a, a large variety of injuries that can, uh, occur during the deadlift. You know, it's, you got torn biceps, you've got 
hurt backs. Uh, one guy um, uh, cracked his hip, or pelvis, during a deadlift event. They literally cracked the bone in half. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I've seen his pelvis literally exploded and had to be surgically put back together. Um, I've seen uh, you know knee injuries during deadlifts. Um, and then, uh, now I haven't seen this happen in a competition, but I've seen people pick up the bar and, and drop it on their own leg. So the weight will drop when you're on the, on the person's leg and hurt them. That's a pretty extreme example, but you know, I mean, you'll, you'll, you see it happen. You see this, there's a ton of injuries that can happen with a deadlift. Um, there's a ton of injuries that can happen with, um, overhead press events, you know, whether it's a log or an axle or whatever, you see a ton of injuries with that stuff. Um, I've seen people fall down with the weight and get injured, you know, while it's over their head, you know, seen all kinds of, uh, rotator cuff or AC joint injuries, uh, torn triceps on overhead events. I mean, there's so many injuries that can occur during those events. And, uh, and the nature of the event is that you can really move a lot of weight because the, the implements a lot of the time, um, like especially with like a bar, like a regular bar, is uh, it's designed for you to be able to move the most amount of weight. And it's designed since it's designed for you to be able to do that, that's great and you can move a whole lot of weight. But now you have a whole bunch of weight and if anything goes wrong, you have a whole bunch of weight. <laughs> and I think that leads to a lot of those injuries. Whereas if you have a, you know, let's say a natural or a natural stone or something. It's so awkward, and it's just so difficult. But it's not that heavy usually. I mean, I mean there are like these basque lifters that can lift insane stones. But just just talking about you tip. Know, those, are, those are cut stones. Those aren't natural stones. You know, uh, a natural stone doesn't have anything carved in it to, for you to get a get a grip on. So it really limits the actual amount of pendage that you can lift on that. So like you're saying, you know, with a, with a, a, a deadlift and especially with the additional, you know, aids that are generally allowed to perform that lift, you're capable, you know, the average strongman competitor is capable of picking up an, an ungodly amount of weight on, you know, any type of deadlift variation. Like you said, if anything is a quarter of an inch out of place during the course of that lift, you know, something could go. Very easily, something can go because of the amount of vertical force that's coming down on the body. Yeah, and you see it happen all the time, you know, um, especially if it's, you know, well, there's there's different risks. If it's a max weight event, obviously, it's a lot of weight. That, that's dangerous in and of itself. Um, if it's for reps, well, now you have fatigue, but you're also probably in a hurry trying to get your reps in faster. Those two things can lead to injuries and you have to factor in the weight. You have a lot of weight there. Usually um, at a lot of events, a deadlift is the heaviest event that you have in the competition, you know, unless you have like a yoke or something. Yeah. And I, I've seen, uh, it, you know, I, I know we're picking on deads here, but it's just, it, it's such a commonly contested event and no, you know, the, 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 the safety police never complain about that one and never, never call for the head of that one. Um, but uh, you know, I, I've been to I've been to a lot of contests. I think I think it's safe to say that either as a promoter, as a guest judge, as an athlete, 
I've been to a lot of contests, um, tri- triple digits, I would say, and you know, rarely do I ever see a deadlift event where somebody doesn't walk away with some sort of injury. And I'm not, you know, that's not to demonize the event. It's just, it just goes to show that when you, you know, when you play with fire, eventually you get burned. So, you know, the the iron snake can bite. Yeah, that's very true. I want to make it clear too. I'm not, um, I'm not scared of the deadlift by any any stretch of the imagination. I'll go deadlift at any competition. I don't care. Um, I don't care what the risk is. I'm not one of these people online crying about it. If, if you want to set the bar on fire in the competition, I'll go lift it. I really don't care. But, uh, as long as it's on fire for everybody. <laughs> yes. As long as it's on fire for everybody, we're good to go. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying the deadlift is too dangerous. I'm just saying, if you want to talk about the risks involved with the lifts, the deadlift has to be top three riskiest uh, event, and uh, and then um, uh, really really heavy um, yokes, and and that to me seems odd too because um, I don't know. Within the past few years, I think this this yoke thing and, and the numbers everybody's after these numbers has really got out of hand. You have these these people that. They really train this way too, but they'll load the yoke up to whatever and waddle three, four feet <laughs> and collapse on <laughs> and collapse under it and, and think somehow that that's like improving their strength, you know, or whatever. Um, I think it's testing their uh, bone structure. I don't know that it's improving their strength much, but then they'll do it in competitions too. And that's fine, but I think it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have these ridiculously heavy yokes in competition, and you see a lot of injuries in those too. I mean, I've seen a lot of people get hurt doing um, yokes, and and a lot of stuff can go wrong there. Usually, it's a it's a knee or a back, but it could be anything. I mean, a foot or an ankle or anything. Oh man, I've I've seen so many people be maimed on yokes. Uh, I've I've talked to no less than three people in the last 12 months that have actually suffered cervical vertebrae fractures from yoke. I talked to one guy, he was, he was just this past weekend up at uh, uh, America's Strongest uh, Disabled Athlete, up at uh, Chris Vaccio's in Columbus, Ohio. And, uh, you know, the guy was showing me the surgical scar on his neck where they had to cut him open and go through the front of his neck and fuse his vertebrae together because of you know, because he was training a yoke to get ready for that contest. And, uh, you know, uh, Zadrunas, um, his, you know, his big health problems that started a couple of years ago uh, stemmed from a yoke event. Um, I mean, it's, it's just, I, I, could go, I could go on and on about that one. And like you said, the, uh, the current amateur obsession, um, it has subsided a little bit. It has, it has, you know, dwindled a tad. Uh, but for a while there, you know, you, you couldn't look at social media without seeing people post their thousand pound yoke videos where they would pick it up. And like you said, it, it, they're, you know, four feet drop, four feet drop, four feet drop, four feet drop. And they're talking about, hey, I hit my yoke PR. And I'm like, OK, what did you just do to your body in order to get that video? You know, I feel like an effort like that uh, probably should have been saved for a contest. And you did that in training, 
and there's a good chance you may not make it to the contest at this point. Yeah, and uh, that comes down to, um, we won't get too much into this, but that comes down to these people that uh, have to try the competition weight in, in, in training and stuff. And, and I'm not a big advocate of that. I think who cares what the competition weight is. you got to train to be the strongest you can be, and then you show up and hope for the best, and that's just how it works. But um, a lot of people all have to feel the weight or whatever. And, and that's fine on some events. You know, if, if you can probably get away with it on certain events – but you're really rolling the dice if you're trying that with deadlifts and yokes. I mean, you're going to wreck yourself. You're not going to make it to the competition. You see that all the time. People pull out, and and even if when they don't tell you that's what happened, I mean, you know, everybody's doing everything on social media, so you know what happened, you know. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, you you see the results. And what's what's kind of baffling about that in particular, and and, and sort of the way people. Um, some, some folks tend to train moving events and especially yokes is that you don't ever see a single pro strong man or pro strong woman training like that. You just don't see it. They don't do it. So why that, you know, at the amateur level there, you know, there's a, a, a culture that encourages that. I just don't get it. It's not helping anyone improve. No, you're right. It's not helping anybody improve. I think, um, you know, the motivation behind any action is not, is usually not just, there's not just one motivator. So I think that, you know, obviously they're training or they're, or they're doing this yoke to get stronger or whatever, maybe to win a competition, but that's not the only motivator. You get a lot of people that are literally lifting and making these videos for the Instagram or the Facebook. So that's a motivator. And, and they think, well, if I only do a yoke walk with, you know, 550 pounds, you know, I'm only going to get, you know, 200 views or something. But if I do 750 pounds, I'll get all the views. <laughs> and they have to, they have to weigh that motivation against winning. But, in, but I don't think that they see that it's actually hurting their chances of winning. And, uh, and then, you know, it's a numbers thing. They can, they can call their buddy up and say, Hey, I yoked 800 today, but you know, save it for the competition and call them after the competition. You don't have to break your back in training and, uh, not make it to the competition, you know? Yeah. I think, uh, I think a first place trophy is more impressive in a, uh, training video leading up to a contest. I wouldn't know. I've never had one of those. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think a first place trophy is more impressive than a training video. That, that's just my my personal opinion. Yeah, I would. You would think that you would think that that's what people would think, but uh, sometimes I think the goal gets out of sight, you know, and they're just concerned with. Oh, I want to hit that PR, or they're concerned with. Oh, I want to make this cool video, or hey, I want to tell my buddies, or I want to show up this guy, or you know, s- some other thing will step in there and get in the way a lot of the time. Um, or, or maybe they're just stupid. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think sometimes that just gets in the way and, and it bites them in the ass for it. Hey, while we're in the uh, you know while we're in the mood here of of probably triggering a lot of folks. Um, Let's go ahead and talk. You touched on uh, getting hurt, pulling out of competitions. You know, we talked about not making it to a competition. Um, 
there, there's a gentleman by the name of Chael Sonnen, who, if y'all don't know, he's uh, uh, an MMA fighter. He was in, in the UFC for for a number of years, very high profile uh, fighter. And you know, he has a theory that when when you and the, you know this this is for fighting, obviously, but he says you know when you sign on the dotted line uh, and and you say you're going to be somewhere to do something. Um, you show up and do it, even if you stub your toe. Um, he, he gets he gets very passionate a, about people uh, pulling out of fights and so on and so forth. How do you think that applies, if it applies at all, to uh, you know to strongman? And does it does it apply at all at the amateur level, or or does it, you know is it uh, more of a pro thing since there's money involved? You know, do you have do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it applies less on the amateur level, obviously, but um, I'm going to say it applies on the human level. You know, screw the competition. Forget the competition. Forget the promoter. Forget all that. On a human level, like, you signed up to go. You told the person that you signed up for their competition that you were going to be there. You told them that, okay? And you have to reasonably... uh, deal with that if an injury comes up in a professional manner. Um, Number one, you just shouldn't just no-show, not contact anybody. If you're not going to go, you should at least let them know ahead of time so they can take your name off the roster or whatever. Um, And and for Christ's sake, don't dick them around about it. (laughs) Oh, I might be that, you know, just just let them know. And then, uh, but you should try your best to be there. I mean, you said you were going to go, you trained for it. And, and I think if, if you drop out, I think that behavior will just snowball. Number one, just, just, just do it. You know, now, um, if, if you tore your bicep, you probably shouldn't do a strongman competition. Okay. Let's face it. Right. There's not going to be a lot of events. You're going to be able to do anything, you know, that obviously that's a no brainer. You're not going to do that. But if you, some of these injuries that people pull out for or won't go or, you know, Oh, I got a sprained elbow or something, you know, you should probably just go do it, you know, especially on the professional level. But as an amateur, even still, I've never, uh, I don't think I've ever signed up for a competition and, and we had been signed up and pulled out. I don't think that's, that's happened that I know of. And you started competing in 2007, at the first strongest man in the forest. Yeah, and this is the 12th coming up, 12th strongest man. Yeah. Yeah, so so almost 12 years of competing and I don't think I've ever pulled out of a competition and I've only ever skipped one event in a competition. And that's cuz I I broke my ankle in a competition in the first event and I finished the first event, the second event, the third event. And I opted out of the fourth event. <laughs> you was, you went. <laughs> and and the only reason I opted out was because um, of my placing. Even even had I won that event, it wouldn't have uh, made much of a difference. So, but yeah, I think I think you should just try. You know, try to do it. As, depending on what the injuries are, I mean, I could give you a million stories in my case where I've went anyways or continued on or whatever. So, do you feel like? Uh you know, a lot of times the roster is posted for these competitions, um, and you know people see 
oh, okay, here's, you know, here's so-and-so in, in my class, and we have X amount of people in my class, and yada, 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 and then maybe, uh, you know, come contest day, oh, hey, so, you know, so-and-so's not here because of reason X, Y, or Z. Um, you know, you feel like that's like a, a, a letdown to the athlete, you know, that maybe was maybe looking forward to the competition or looking forward to the nationals invite. Um, and, you know, maybe that's been compromised because of dropouts or something, or, you know, they just wanted, they just wanted to face as many people or as high a level of competition as possible, you know, from, from the athlete side, uh, you know, when, when people drop out, what, you know, does that affect you at all? Me personally? Um, no, I could see where it would affect other people. I just think that that's such a it's such a complicated thing that um, you know the roster itself because now you got this roster and people look at the roster and they look at their competition and they'll they'll dodge competitions based on who's in it or they won't sign up because they don't know who's in the roster or they'll look at the roster and they'll say there's not enough people or they'll look and say there's too many people and they just the rosters uh, it just complicates things uh, I think for a lot of people on a lot of different levels um, so to me I don't even think about it I look at the uh, competition I look at the events I say hey I want to do those events I want to win this competition and that's that's as far that's as far as I'll look at it that's it if there's nobody in my division I'm going if there's a hundred people I'm going I don't I, it, I'm going to do the events and win the thing um, I mean I don't even really look at what the perks are. I don't care if what the prize is or you know if you get an invite. I'm I'm going to win. win winning is uh, winning is a good goal. It's a good goal. What what else do we got to talk about here? We we we've uh, gone from point A to point Z Y X W whatever. Uh, and and I don't think we've talked about the Appalachian Team Championships. That's right. We have that uh, May 26th in Palatine, Palatine Park in uh, Fairmont, West Virginia. Memorial Day weekend. Did you say Ovaltine Park? Yes. <laughs> More Ovaltine, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many teams are um, signed up so far? A million. That's going to be a long day. That, that's my troll answer. So we're currently at nine uh, teams registered, which I think is a record for this contest. And, uh, it, you know, for those not familiar, these are teams of four to six people. Most of these teams have a full roster of six people on them. Um, so that's, you know, that's quite a few competitors. And rumor has it there's about two or three more teams um, that just haven't got off their butts to sign up yet. Um it's going to be crazy. This is one of the most hotly contested contests every year. Um, I think pretty much every year since its inception in 2014, 2014, 2013 maybe, um, every year the top three placings have been decided by like a point apiece or less. You know, there was uh, there was the infamous year where your team, Team Bearhands, uh, actually tied for first place and lost on countback to the Windy City Rumble. Triple countback. Tri- triple countback. 
That's right. Uh, so yeah, so you in particular uh, probably have a lot of motivation to win this contest because you've been right on the cusp of it, uh, you know, especially that year. I believe that was 2015, maybe 2016. Um, and, you know, you've been right there. You've been on the podium. Uh, and it was so cruelly snatched away. So what, uh, you know, how, how are you feeling going into this year? And what is, uh, you know, why, why are you so motivated for this contest? Well, first of all, I want to say um, Team Bearhands wins every year. I mean, regardless of who gets the cup, we, we know that Team Bearhands won. Okay. Team Bearhands is back. Uh, we have many of the original members. Uh, we just have a, a couple people that are kind of kind of new to the team. Um, we're in it to win it. We're, we're, doing, um, we're holding more team practices this year than any other year. Uh, we're all training pretty hard. Um, I have personally have a lot of momentum going into this off my last two competitions. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a good a good time. I think we got a good shot at winning it. Yeah, well, so why is this one so important? I you know uh, talked to you in private conversation on, on a number of occasions, and it seems like this title above a lot of others is sort of the one that you really want on your mantle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, I think, uh, it's the Appalachian team championships. I mean, I guess people don't really, uh, understand what that entails, but the Appalachian region is, is larger than the state of West Virginia. So in my mind, this championship is actually bigger than the state championship, right? Um, it's almost like a, like a sub-regional type thing. Um, but also in addition to that, you're talking about your team and if, if you form your team correctly and you're not just trying to go around and, and grab a bunch of uh, ringers or people you don't even know or whatever, now you have a whole team of people that are representing something. So uh, Team Bare Hands represents Mauser Strength Dynamics and uh, Viking Performance. So it's, it's important on multiple levels here. We got six people representing Mauser Strength Dynamics, Viking Performance, and the Appalachian region. That's, that's super important. Um, in, in my mind, that's that's bigger than um, a state championship or uh, or whatever else is out there. Um, I think it's a big deal, and it's right in uh, our backyard. It's easy to get to. Um, there's not a huge – I mean, I guess if you look at it from a team standpoint, it is pricey. But individually, it's, it's not an overly pricey competition for what it is. You know, I mean, what was the cost of um, – Nationals last year, hundred hundred oh, bucks, hundred hundred and eighty dollars or something maybe. Yeah, and uh, what well, the team championships? It was fifty fifty two dollars per person or something. I mean, you're looking at a a really inexpensive big time championship, and uh, yeah, I think it's super important. It, it's Appalachia, man. Yeah, uh, and, and that's you know that's something that uh, has kind of evolved. You know, the first year that we did it. You know, we didn't know um, how big it would be. We didn't know if anybody would actually come. Uh, we didn't know if people would like the concept. You know, it was just a lot of question marks, and people actually loved it. And we had so many people. You know, I, I actually remember. I remember vividly when I got entry forms from Chicago, Illinois, for that. You know, from from Quinn Zambin and the Windy City Rebel. And uh, I was like, holy crap! 
people are coming all the way from Chicago for this team contest, you know? I hadn't had anybody um, I hadn't had anybody from uh, Chicago come to our individual contest yet, you know, at that point. Um, it, it was it was pretty wild. And so people really liked it and it really you know, it became extremely competitive. It was it was so much fun and the big idea of it was to have a lot of fun. But it also turned into this extremely competitive uh, uh, contest where the placings were separated by, you know, seconds or, or, you know, the placings were separated by a single rep or, 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 you know, one or two seconds and things like that. And it was like, wow, this is this is really intense and it's really become a major thing. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm really happy to see how many teams we already have signed up at this point. Yeah, that's pretty cool that it keeps getting bigger and you have more teams uh the more teams definitely, um, you know, adds to the excitement, makes it a little more fun. And uh, you talk about the Windy City, uh, the Chicago, um, Chicago signing up, and, and, you know, that's a big deal because they're coming. Well, they're actually out of the Appalachian region, but they're coming in for the Appalachian Championship, and that's a, that's a long drive and a big commitment. And uh, it just, it's just too bad those guys have never won, you know? <laughs> yeah, just, just too bad that they've never won three titles. Um, you know, and speaking of teams that have won, the the Hillbilly Heathens, another another West West Virginia based team, uh, Hillbilly Heathens, they won in 2016, and the Heathens coming back for a second title this year. Who else? Who else do we have on the roster? That's a that's a returning team. I know a lot of the rosters changed up, um, which is fine. You know. Um, you know, one thing I always talk about with the team championships is number one, it's supposed to be fun, you know, and uh, it really is. To, to me, it's probably the most fun meet all year. And you know, I encourage people. I encourage people to you know to try different teams. You know, hook up with a different set of buddies if if you've got if you got a lot of friends that want to do this contest, and I'll, you know, a lot of us do. Um, and you know, there there there's no. I feel like there's no reason that there should be any friction between anybody that says, okay, you know, hey, hey next year I want to, you know, I want to ride into battle with these guns, you know, or something like that. Um, and uh, so you, you see a lot of that. You see, uh, you know, this year a lot of the teams have switched up, um, and, and, it, and it's great. You know, it's really it's really cool uh, to kind of see that. And, and a lot of the teams, however, they're very tight, and they stay together. They stay together year after year. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Team Bare Hands, we've pretty much – you know, usually four of the six of us are the are the same from the original team, and uh, but you get a lot of uh, teams that switch it up too. Um, we've had uh, well, actually, Mauser Strength Dynamics has had two teams in several of the team uh, championships, and this year is no different. And uh, our team two is uh, appropriately named uh, our grandmother's deadlift more than Paul Mauser. Um, and uh, they, you know, Grace and Kaplinger is the uh, captain of that team. But there's a lot of new members on that team from the Mauser Strength Dynamics roster. Hey, I want to meet these diesel grannies who can beat my 300 pound deadlift. <laughs> so, so f- f- uh, fun fact on top of that, their grandmothers probably can out deadlift me at this point because I haven't pulled a deadlift since. Um, Probably doing a uh, zercher at rite of passage back on December second or third, 
because shortly after that, I got run over by a freaking Jeep. And um, I'm just now getting to the point where I, you know, kind of want to uh, try some deadlifts again at, the, at this time. Hey, listen, you, you can blame the Jeep, but but we all know you, you weren't any shape to be deadlifting before that Jeep. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to comment. I'm not going to comment on what the holidays did to my uh, uh, luscious physique. But uh, let, let, let's just say Christmas is still hanging around, especially around the waistline. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm wearing those Christmas cookies like a belt. So, um, speaking of the team championships, every every team has four. Uh, you have to have four members. You have to have a female, um, a lightweight. Uh, a middleweight and a heavyweight, and and the weight classes are um, a little bit different for this one than um, other competitions. So anything over two thirty one is a heavyweight. Um, yeah, anything over two thirty one is heavyweight, and anything under two hundred is a lightweight. And uh, people always ask me about that, uh, John. They always ask, you know, why don't you make the lightweight one seventy five? Because that's the regulation class. Well, quite frankly, there are no 175s. Uh, there's like five guys in the whole country that compete in that class. So if I required everyone to have a 175 guy, we wouldn't have any freaking teams. So, so lightweight for this contest is sub 200, middleweight's 231, and heavyweight's uh, 231 plus. Yeah. Um so anyway, every team has the, has to have those those four, and then you can have two extras. So you could have two females or two heavyweights or whatever. Um, there are people out there right now on teams um, that are still looking for people. So if anybody out there wants to do teams, and, and I know it's really last minute, but if if you were thinking about it and you thought, oh man, you know, I don't have a team or I can't find anybody go on the Facebook page and post and say, Hey, if there's a team that'll take me, I'm here and I'm ready. And, um, you know, post your weight class or whatever and all that. And, and I'm sure somebody will grab you up. Um, cause there's several teams that aren't completely full. And yeah. Uh, the, you know, just like we talked about, you know, pe- people dropping out of contests and yada yada, these st- stuff happens, whatever. Yeah, there's there's teams out, out there that still need, you know, uh, a certain class filled or something like that. So anybody, anybody that's got an interest in doing this contest, but maybe you weren't able to, you know, you weren't able to convince your buddies. All your buddies were too chicken to join you. Um, that's okay. We can find you a spot. Get, get a hold of us. Post on the Facebook page, whatever. Um, will probably be able to find you a spot on a team somewhere. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if, if nothing else, um, you know, there will, there probably will be people that, uh, you know, hopefully not, but get injured or something a little bit later and maybe in a week or two, a team will need somebody. So just throw it out there, let everybody know. And, uh, you know, you might get picked up last minute. Yep. I, I hate to see anybody that really wants to do the contest, miss out on it because they didn't have a team to land on so i always try to help people you know if they want to do the show i try to find them a home on, on a team somewhere yeah and this one uh only happens once a year and there's none other like it that i know of 
So if you want in, you need to make it known because, uh, you know, I don't think there's not going to be another team championship springing up anywhere. At least, at least not four to six person team championships springing up anywhere. Yeah, the, yeah, the ones, the ones where you get to ride in with your whole crew uh, are few and far between. Uh, uh, Ode Haugen does one out, out in California, or at least he did. I, I haven't seen that one advertised uh, for this year, but um, he did try it at least once out there. Um, and then I saw one pretty similar in Texas at one point that looked pretty cool. But, you know, you're talking, uh, you know, three contests in the entire country that, that are like this. Yeah, there's not a lot of them out there. And, um, yeah, so jump on it. If you if you got the chance, jump on it. Um, and, you know, there's a few, uh, like, two-person team uh, things out there. But, uh, yes, anything like this, you're probably not going to find it. This is your chance. You jump on the Facebook page, send out a post, let them know, and maybe a team will snag you up. I know of at least one team off the top of my head that's looking for um, uh, an extra heavyweight. So uh, I'm sure there's other people looking. Maybe we should make an online dating service type of deal. But for uh, you know people to find team members, <laughs> yeah. Instead of uh, you know, in, in, instead of like uh, Tinder or Grinder, we could call it Pumper. Maybe I don't know. What do you think? What was the name of that? Uh, well, we could call it Pumper or Lifter. Maybe. <laughs> yes. I, I think the first one has more of a sexual connotation. I think that I think that works. Are you going to be the um, the moderator for that page? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say no. <laughs> we, let's, I'll, I'll go ahead and pass on that one. Let's push that one off on Kale Beck. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let Kale do it. Uh, you know, actually, you know who I'd like to see moderate that page uh, just for the pure entertainment value? But let's make Val do it. Let's get Valerie Walker to, uh, to moderate that page <laughs> and lay down the law. <laughs> and we will film all of her reactions to everything that happens. There's going to be a lot of people in the strength sport community crying. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Al, uh, man, what um, what a year uh, or so that she's been having. Um, you know, Val was a legendary strong woman in West Virginia, and she has since moved on to Olympic weightlifting and is doing absolutely phenomenal there. Um Val is also the only other person that uh, to to be a certified Mauser Methods coach who does not have the last name Mauser, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, she's the only um, uh, certified uh, coach um, that's been handed the certificate anyway uh, out there, yeah. Um, and uh, she's free to... Uh, Use those credentials as as uh, she wants. So what what does uh, what does Val have coming up? Uh, she has the um, weightlifting world championships in the um, masters division, I believe, in Spain. And uh, I can't remember the date of that, but um, it, it's not too far off. It's it's coming up, and uh, she's preparing for it. She's just hit uh, maybe last week. She just hit a new PR on the clean and jerk. And, um, I mean, it looked easy. I'm pretty, I'm sure she'll be hitting several more in, on the road to that championship. So she'll, as, as oh, always, I saw that video look terrific as always. She'll, she'll go and, and do a, and have a great performance. 
uh, did she earn that uh, invitation to the World Championships with her win at the Arnold Classic? Yeah. Very cool, very cool. So, yeah. Uh, Arnold Classic victory um, leading to uh, the trip to, you know, weightlifting worlds. That's that's pretty cool stuff, man. It's, it's, it's nice to see uh, Val having so much success in a completely different sport, you know, after she basically dominated the sport of strong woman, um, you know, she was on the podium at masters nationals and then won, uh, the USS pro women's worlds competition. Um, she, you know, she was, uh, multi-time West Virginia state champion, set all kinds of state records. Um, and then moved on to Olympic weightlifting and, and, and is crushing everything in that. So that's, that's really cool to see. Not, I don't know that too many people would be able to do that. Yeah, well, there's not too many Valerie Walkers. Uh, little known fact, Val has uh, two PhDs. Um, and before Strong uh, Woman, she was a professional boxer. And then she went into Strong Woman and um, you know got her pro card. And now she's in Olympic weightlifting. And she also holds, I think, the home run record in uh, a, a softball league. <laughs> so she's done, she's done a lot of stuff. <laughs> so, so what we're saying is that the movie wonder woman was actually based on Val. Uh, yeah, basically um, that's the gist of it. Yeah. It's her uh, autobiography. athletes obviously are doing the, the team championships coming up um hand of the destroyer just came off of uh top seven placing at the arnold uh amateur world championships um and what what, what all do we have going on in the in the illustrious table of uh, awesome mauser athletes well right now i think um the majority are getting ready for uh, America's Strongest Viking. That's the big one coming up. That's uh, Hannah's training for that. Um, Jake King's training for that. I believe Kenny Hacker, uh, Grayson. There's a bunch of people. Um, Drew are all training for Strongest Viking. Um, so that's the big one. And then uh, we'll see who's headed to nationals and whatnot. Um, after that yeah Kenny is already registered for strongest Viking he is the, the current uh, middleweight world record holder in the block press and uh, I have no doubt he is going to exceed last year's lift on on that particular event um, hand of the destroyer join in the action this year that is pretty cool. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of unorthodox uh, Mauser block training from Hannah. She's put out some very cool videos lately, um, doing some different stuff with the Mauser block. So uh, I, I thought that was uh, worthy of mention here. So how in the hell do you come up with this stuff? She, she's hooking a, a, a cable to the Mauser block and doing rows with it. Like, what, did, did you did you all just sit down and go, hey? What's the most god awful thing we can come up with today? <laughs> uh, well, um, the cable the cable stuff has little to do with the press. Um, it's more of a for. Um, I mean, obviously there will be some carryover to to the pressing, but what I really had in mind was um, 
carrying the thing, right? Or, or the clean during the press, hugging that thing in tight. And um, you can load, obviously you can load the block up, um, but most of the uh, resistance you get from a loaded block is, is, you know, straight up and down. So I thought it would be harder, you would get a much better squeeze on it and you would be more motivated to pull it in tight if the resistance was actually pulling the block out of your hands or off of your chest. So that's what spawned using the weight stack and the cable pulley. Um, so now you're actually rowing against a, a resistance that's pulling the block away from your body and not just straight down. And then um, after we did the cable pulley, I thought, well, man, maybe I can make that harder because we have the um, the Bartos uh, contrast platform, which, I, which I'm a huge fan of anyway. Um, but then I thought, you know, maybe we can hook the block up to that and then I can personally just kind of really pull on that and um, get some work in that way. So we were exper experimenting with that this week. Uh, it didn't go exactly how I wanted it to this week, but um, next week we're going to have another video. I think I have a better way to do it with the contrast platform, make it a little, make it a little bit better. And uh, so hopefully um, if you stay tuned to the uh, John, the Viking uh page, my page, um, in the Mauser Strength Dynamics Instagram, you'll see our next Mauser Block Contrast Platform video next week. Freaking awesome. Looking forward to that and many more awesome videos coming out. Uh, John, we kind of been blabbing on here for a while. I feel like, uh, I feel like this might be a good place to say, um, let's wrap it up. Yeah, let's um, let's go ahead and um, end here. We've been blabbering on for an hour and uh, thirty nine minutes almost. So uh, after you edit out all of the profanity, it's only going to be about forty minutes. <laughs> That's true. Let's see. So we talked about world's strongest man, um, half Thor's victory. We talked about the events, how cool the loading medley was. It was a really good time. I can't wait for it to come out on TV. We can watch it in its entirety. We talked about the Philly Fit Expo. Great time. Um, I recommend checking out any of Ode Haugen's competitions. Um, they run run pretty well, uh, and the events are always cool, and um, you should check out Moss Wrestling. Um, train for it, for Christ's sake. Um, uh, we've successfully, to my knowledge anyway, unless they're gathered outside, we've, we've avoided um, being raided by the safety police. And uh, we've talked about the Appalachian team championships that's a bigger championship than most people give it credit for um, a lot of people look at their state championships a lot of people look at nationals a lot of people look at that stuff but this is a this is a like a sub-regional or a regional championship um, for teams and it's a big deal in my opinion so uh, if you've never done it do it get a team together come out win a legit championship and you see the trophy i mean the trophy alone tells you it's a big deal and uh yeah, let me uh, let me hop in there. That uh, I, I don't know if I've ever told anybody this. Uh, it cost me um, it cost me just just under four hundred bucks to actually get that thing made. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the most yeah, expensive trophy uh, in amateur strongman. <laughs> it, it might be. It might be the most expensive trophy in the game. Um, and it's a traveling trophy, so it's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, you say, you know, it's it's like a regional championship. You know, I don't even know. I don't know for sure if the if the 
other contests in, that we mentioned in California and Texas even take place anymore, this may be basically the national championship for teams, if you want to look at it that way, because it's it might be the only show in the country. Yeah, that's true. Like I said, I don't underestimate, you know, what what this competition is it you know it's it's a fun competition to me it's pro, it's top 3 um, most fun competitions that I do every year um and it's fun but it's also a big deal like I said it's the Appalachian team uh championship so check it out get a team together do it and uh get in there and get it done but uh anyway we're going to wrap it up this has been uh Get Strong or Die podcast with John the Viking Mauser and Paul Mauser, Mauser Strength Dynamics, the inventor and innovator of the Mauser Block and the Deepwaters Hercules Hold. Um, for more information, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or at mauserpower.com.